the most effective communication that I've done, and I've done this a few times, where I've really seen it work well, um, where I'm working with somebody and I'm trying to get my point across and I do it with enough finesse that long-term they think it was their idea, even though it was mine and I brought it to them and they've internalized it so well. That's effective communication when you can talk to someone and make it their own idea. In my mind, it's not like I'm communicating and you're acknowledging I'm right. I'm communicating and you're kind of aligning and you know, and you make it your own. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Flourishing Together. I'm Raman Chada, founder of the Junto Institute, where leaders and their companies become infinitely better, smarter, and healthier. This happens through our leadership development programs that are built on emotional intelligence training, deep mentorship, and teams learning together. We have live video-based programs online and in-person programs in Chicago. For more information, check us out on social media and at thehuntoinstitute.com. Our guests on today's episode are Nikki Martin and Chad Cooper, two longtime members of the Junto tribe. We're going to begin with Nikki, whose company, Eclipse Telecom, completed our inaugural program in 2013, after which Nikki went through the program in 2014. She was one of the first employees at Eclipse, which provides enterprise communication consulting and management services and where she has grown into a leadership role, today serving as Client Happiness Officer. I love that title. I've always admired Nikki's vibrant energy and playful nature, which I imagine is going to come through in our conversation. Welcome to Flourishing Together, Nikki. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, So as we do with uh, all of our sessions uh, in Junto and on all of these episodes, I'm going to start off by asking you how you're feeling. Uh, I'm in the green, yellow, orange, I would say, area of the emotional wheel today. Um, Green, yellow, and orange being? I would say I'm in happy and cheerful. Uh Definitely super happy to be here with you today, longtime friend. uh, And I always enjoy being in anything involved with Junto. Um, The... Affectionate and romantic because it is actually Valentine's Day. Yes, it is. Um, and it's my first Valentine's Day as a married woman. Awesome. So I'm very excited about that. <laughs> and then definitely a little nervous and worried. Um, this is my first time doing a podcast, so I'm a little nervous. Um, definitely the anxiety is kicking in a bit, but hopefully I do okay. <laughs> Just the breathing. The breathing will work. Yeah. <laughs> Um, awesome. Thanks for sharing the breadth of that. And let's see, I'm feeling pretty darn tranquil. Also quite eager, excited, enthusiastic, and hopeful. And, um, a little bit nostalgic. And I don't know yet whether it's related to the fact that it is Valentine's Day or or something else, but, um, Nothing in the fear, anger, and sadness areas. All right. So let's kick things off. I uh, enjoy opening these conversations with uh, a question that kind of harks back to people's prior experiences, which which is, um, what is your first recollection of leadership? I had to think about this a little bit, but I would say probably my very first recollection was in high school. I was in dance. I was on a dance team, POMS. And you're with 20 girls for every day, 
all night. You're working on dance routines, so on and so forth. So I think my first, you know, recollection of leadership would be that is, you know, having to really rally a group of girls to follow instruction, follow what we're doing that day, so on and so forth. And then throughout probably college, I joined a sorority and I took a lot of leadership roles within the organization. Um, I was social standards board for two years, which basically I was controlling how our girls are getting their grades up to par with our grade point average, um, making sure people are paying their dues, making sure they're following you know, our vision and mission and our values for the organization itself. Um, took that for two years, that role, and then I ended up kind of elevating even further into the sorority life, per se, at my university, and I took a role as Panhellenic president, hmm. which is basically the president of all the sororities on campus. So that was quite a large leadership role. Learned a lot um, about dealing with lots of different people um, on a daily basis and understanding their challenges, concerns with how their organizations are being run on a daily basis. So this is fascinating and and it dovetails so nicely into one of the questions that I wanted to ask you and that we've talked about a little bit, which is, okay, so obviously you've spent all this time in high school and college with a lot of girls and women, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, that's all you've said. <laughs> and then... A couple of years after college is when you joined Eclipse, mm -hmm. which is in the uh, telecommunications sector. And uh, on a side note, uh, the founder and CEO of Eclipse, Dave Dyson, um, has been a guest on Flourishing Together. So uh, you can find that on a prior episode. And Dave and I even mentioned this. but So where I'm going with this is telecom is pretty male-dominated. Yes. And pretty alpha male-dominated as well. Yes. <laughs> so I would love for you to talk about that and your uh, collision with that a couple of years out of college as a young woman mm -hmm. entering that space, that industry. Um, I do know that you have done really well. And, I've tried. <laughs> and Dave has told me that. Um, but then also just the fact that you're still around, right? Yeah. That means that you also have derived some fulfillment from it. And I imagine you find yourself succeeding. Mm -hmm. What's worked for you? What's not worked for you? What have you struggled with? And I'd love for you to just, you know, mm -hmm. be candid and comfortable sharing whatever you can and yep. want to. So I've been at Eclipse. I just celebrated seven years. So I've been at the company for quite some time. When I first started, I was coming in and it was all men um, within the company even. So I was the first female, more or less, to, you know, be on the team. And it was definitely difficult at first. It's um, very overwhelming. It's you know, all the guys are talking about sports and all that fun stuff, and I'm not into that at all, <laughs> if I'm being honest. So definitely tricky on that front. You know, within the industry, it's consistently men that are um, working within the telecom industry. I would say now in, you know, 2018 to 2020, you're starting to see more women kind of come into the industry, which is awesome to see um, because it's bringing in a whole new perspective. Having confidence is really key, um, making sure that you're feeling comfortable talking about the technology and being confident in what you're actually talking about. Um, if it's process, if it's procedures, anything of that 
nature. Um, being also confident that you're going to probably be the only woman in the room most of the time. Even with a lot of my customers, it's primarily men um, that are in that C-level role. So I think I ha- out of all of my clients, I've got one female that's in that C-level role. So whenever we're meeting, I'm usually almost the only female in the room a lot of the time. I think also having people within your company that are really supportive. Um, Dave and Kirk, my other colleague, have been super supportive with me in making sure that I'm feeling comfortable in those situations. I am feeling knowledgeable. They're providing me, you know, feedback after the meetings to make sure that I'm can work on whatever I need to work on after the fact. I think also a big piece is listening. Men like to be listened to. And so making sure that they feel like they're being listened and you know, they're being heard is a big tool that I've, you know, I guess pulled out a lot of the times is sitting back, listening to really what their concerns are, and then feeling comfortable to give feedback. Also, another piece is I have a lot of mentors in the industry now. I would say I've a female mentor in particular. She's out in California. I speak to her once a month for an hour, and we just talk about anything and everything within the industry, but she's been really helpful in guiding me on how to approach certain situations that I might be in within that month from an internal perspective, but also within the industry perspective as well. I would say to the industry, when you go to one of those boondoggles, any big conference, it's predominantly men. Um, But having Dave and Kirk with me is really important because they're showing we're showing a united force when we go to those events and people now are saying, oh, where's Nikki? Usually when they when I'm not there and they just see that them too. So it's it's a nice feeling once you kind of come across that. But I like it. It's yeah. been fun. Okay. So this is a male dominated industry. Mm-hmm. You're a young woman. Mm-hmm. You've got a terrific personality. You're attractive. I'm just going to put it on the line here. <laughs> What struggles have you had? Have you yeah, experienced? I've definitely struggled with being at an event and maybe someone's not very giving me my personal space. Um, and I've had to take a step back and say, hey, this is my personal space. This is my area. You need to kind of push back. So you've actually said that. Yeah. Yes, I have. Um, and awesome. I've also had to have Kirk and Dave intervene at points too. And say, hey, you need to remove yourself from this situation. Um, So, yes, it happens. Um, I think also you have to just be really aware of your surroundings when you're at, you know, events or at an, you know, a meeting. You need to just, I, how do I say this? Um, Present yourself differently sometimes. Um, But yes, I have definitely been in those situations. Can feel uncomfortable, one hundred percent. But I am willing to tell them, hey, you're in my personal space. You've got to step back a little bit. And what's been the the types of responses you've received when you've said that? Um, Mixed. Anger. Mm-hmm. What do you think I'm doing? You really? know, that kind of thing. Um, or, wow, thanks for saying that. I appreciate it. Because um, I think sometimes they don't, you know, whoever that may be, they don't really realize that they're doing it. Um, and I'm also pretty nice most of the time. So I say it nicely. It's not like yeah. I'm being rude about it. Yeah. 
And they're like, oh, you're so sweet. That That's really nice that you said that, you know? So mixed reviews for sure. Well, thanks for yeah, sharing that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that's something that I think about regularly, as you know, I've yeah. got two daughters. So mm-hmm. I think about them all the time mm-hmm. and being in these situations. And secondly, um, you obviously know Catherine quite well, mm-hmm. my co-founder, and you become friends with her. And she and I have had candid conversations about this as well. So mm-hmm. um, it's one of those things where I haven't been told that, which tells me that I haven't entered that space. <laughs> That's good. Thank- thankfully, uh, I have no intent to any at any point. Um, but I'm always intrigued, and and especially with what has been happening societally in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, this is not going away. No, right. Unfortunately. And B, I think it's um, inspiring to hear how women like you handle these situations because I know that there are many others who wonder how they can. So one of the topics that we uh, covered last year in a roundtable was uh, mental health. Mm -hmm. And I think it was in the context of mental health and leadership and or mental health and Mm -hmm. founders. You came along with Dave and you shared a little bit about the battle that you've had for, I think, for quite some time, quite some time yeah. with anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd love for you to just share more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, how has it been a struggle w- for you? You know, do you have sense of, a sense of where, where it kind of originated? Mm-hmm. And more, most importantly, like, how are you coping with it mm-hmm. today as an adult and as a emerging leader? So anxiety has always, I think, been within me for quite some time, but I think it didn't start to really come up for till about three years ago. I think it probably originated. I um, My parents went through a pretty tumultuous divorce and I was right in the middle of it the mm. entire time. Um, I struggled with not speaking to my father for a very long time. Um, I was living with my mother and I think the anxiety kind of sprung from that and always worried about, am I doing something right? What should I be doing for my mom or for my dad to support them throughout this time. And I was pretty young, but you you think about that. And um, I think the anxiety definitely stems from that. And as an adult, um, the anxiety, I'm a people pleaser. I will give, give, give. I'm a giver. I love to give to people versus helping myself sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it can be tricky because your anxiety can really hurt you in those situations when you're not providing anything for yourself. So I've gone through a couple therapists, I'll be honest. Um, Some have worked, some have not. And I think that's an okay process. Therapy, finding the right therapist is really difficult to do. Um, And it's okay to go to one and be like, hey, it's not going to work out. See you later. Um, It was nice meeting you for an hour session. Um, But I started seeing one a little while back and she was great. We ended up kind of parting ways because her practice, she was no longer keeping it in the city. And so I ended up, we kind of parted ways. She's uh, is out in the suburbs. I didn't really feel like going out to the suburbs every time for a session. I actually just started, speaking of it, I just started with a new therapist. Um, So I had my introductory session with him, I guess you could say, last week. Great guy. I'm really excited to work with him. I think I'm going to be definitely a challenge for him because he works with vets technically, um, as his day job. I mean, he does therapy and whatnot, but not with p- people particularly struggling with anxiety in my situation. So I think I'll be a fun challenge for him. Um, and I start fully, I start tomorrow. 
So it's a new relationship. So I'm being very optimistic about it and hoping that I can, you know, learn a lot from him and he can really show me how I can cope with certain situations. Um, For instance, I struggle with my emotions when my anxiety is really high. So in the instance at work, if there's a stressful situation, my emotions take complete control over me. I have no control over the emotion. I get very either angry or sad or happy, if that makes any sense. And um, I have no control over it. So being able to understand in those situations, in those high-stress situations, how to control the anxiety, how to control those emotions, and not box them up, but be able to push those out to the world in a better way than I'm doing it now. Um, I would also, I love this new thing that my newest therapist told me to kind of start doing is they're called Melt, Worry, and Relax cards. So it's like a card deck, and they have different topics. The categories are being mindful, relaxing, thinking, and doing. And you are technically supposed to mix up all the cards. You pull a card each day at the beginning of the day, and that is like your focus for the day. So for instance, your thinking is going to be um, how can you change your thoughts about the worry? Your relaxing is strategies to relax your mind and your body from the worry and the anxiety. Doing is going to be that behavioral therapy, the habits and how we can change those to effectively manage the worry. And then the mindfulness is helping increase awareness and acceptance of the worry and to always be in that moment. Um, so I just started that and it's been helpful. Um, I think for me, I have a really busy mind and I think 24-7, 365, I'm always thinking about work. I'm always thinking about family, the dog, all that fun stuff. So it gives me an opportunity in the morning to flip that card, look at it, and then I keep it at my desk and looking at it. So I'm always consistently focusing on it. Um, So that's been really helpful. And with that busy mind, you always have to really take a step back and understand why are you busy and kind of go back to yourself I want to go back to something you said earlier yeah. about when we were talking about men and women. Mm-hmm. You said that men like to be listened to. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, from my experience, I've learned that women like to be listened to. 100%. Right? <laughs> um, and I say that as somebody who I have a close relationship with my mom. I was married for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. I have two daughters, female business partner, et cetera, et cetera. So that's been my experience. And I've actually been told uh, a couple times as well in my life that I need to listen better. <laughs> so my, my point is that it's a human thing, right? But yes. it's interesting how you said that men like to be listened to and that you kind of flex that muscle when you're in those situations. Like, do you activate certain things? Like what happens when you're conscious that if, if you and I are at, you know, one of these boondoggles and... I'm just talking, talking, talking. And you do you actually consciously think, oh, this guy wants to be listened to? And what do you then do? Yeah. So in those situations, typically you're talking about technology. And a lot of the times the other person on the other end is like, I definitely know the technology better than you do. Got it. So they're to some degree asserting themselves. (laughs) They're asserting themselves 100%. So um, in those situations, I actively listen. Obviously, I'll chime in if I need to. But I try to just listen to them and say, oh, okay. I this is great. Thank you for telling me about this technology, X, Y, and Z. These are the other questions I have because ultimately I'm 
on the operation side of the house from an Eclipse perspective. So as much as I love talking about technology, I want to understand the process of implementing it and how long it takes and what is entailed in that. So a lot of the times I'll allow them to hear, you know, hey, I'll listen to you. I'll hear them. And then I take a step back and ask questions. But I do consciously think about that all the time because Junto has really helped me um, with the active listening too and just making sure that I'm not interrupting and taking a step back and truly understanding what they're trying to tell me. So I've really tried to learn how to take a step back and listen first before I act, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I wanted you to elaborate this because I hear from a lot of people that they hear people talking about active listening, deep listening, generous listening. We, we use those phrases a lot in Junto, but they don't necessarily know how to do it. And so what one of the questions I get regularly is, what are the specific things that I can do mm-hmm. to enable active listening to happen? Mm-hmm. Because as, as I imagine you can appreciate, there's a distinction between listening and hearing. Yes. So what are the things <laughs> in, your, in your experience and in your view, like what do you do to actively listen? So for me, anytime in, in a meeting, I don't have my phone out. I'm not fiddling, anything like that. I think it's really important. And nowadays, everyone is so tied to technology and their cellular device or their Apple Watch or whatever it may be that they don't really realize that they're not paying attention. I think eye contact is huge, nodding, your social cues, making sure that that person on the other end is truly understanding, hey, I'm listening to you and I'm trying to understand what you're you're getting at. Um, I think with a lot of my team that I work with, making sure that if we're having a serious conversation, we're not in front of the computers. We're in a private, you know, meeting space talking one-on-one and there's no, there's no paper even. There's just us talking. A lot of times people always tend to bring their phones into meetings. I say, leave the phones at the desk. I don't want them there. We need to talk about something. So you, you've had a, a unique experience. And it's not an exclusive one, but you've had a unique experience of going through this type of learning earlier in your career than most have, right? You know mm-hmm. that the kind of the average age of Junto grads is a little bit mm-hmm. o- older. And you also have in Dave a pretty conscious middle-aged man. Yes. And extremely sensitive to women, women's needs. He's a very devoted life partner. He's a very devoted father. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been very devoted and supportive of you. So y- to some degree, you, you've been a little lucky, right? Yes. I would say I've been super lucky. So how does that um, help and even hurt when you're colliding <laughs> with kind of the rest of the world? Yeah. Um, it's funny because Dave even says it now. He just knows me so well. He's like, Nikki, you're vibrating today just with your anxiety. Mm. <laughs> so he even knows me so well that – and he's just tuned to it where he knows when I'm having a bad day. He knows how to handle my emotions at points. And it can sometimes be hurtful at just because he knows almost too much. Yeah. Um, and I can't really keep anything in anymore. <laughs> I'm not I'm an open book at this point at Eclipse and um but it's been super helpful because I've got someone that supports me and fully understands my needs um personally, professionally, emotionally um to where I can tell him, "Hey, I've 
I've got to take a day for my mental health to make sure that I'm a good in a, in a good place. And he's very okay with that. And he almost says, hey, I knew that you needed this day anyways. Like he already knew it ahead of time. And, and you also have an incredibly supportive husband. I do. <laughs> right? I've met John a handful of times, but he just seems like he gets you. He, yes. he knows the space. He knows your personality. Like I've, I've, I'm, I'm an observer <laughs> of kind of uh, yeah. hu- human um, behavior. So I love w- watching that dynamic. So you have this terrific base of male support mm-hmm. at home, at work. I'd love for you to share your thoughts and experiences on what they have done individually or collectively, John and Dave, mm-hmm. to give you that foundation, mm-hmm. right? To be who you are and to excel at who you are. Because I think all of us men keep learning how to do this more effectively because mm-hmm. it doesn't come naturally to us, obviously, right? And so um, would love to, for you to share, like, what do they do individually, together, or that that's similar that we could learn from? So I, we'll start with Dave. He... <laughs> Just understands how crazy I am at points. Just I'm super happy all the time, (laughs) most of the time. (laughs) I'm really energetic. I'm going to tell you kind of the way it is if it's a work thing. And he is very open to that. So it's been great to have him supportive of me being a very happy person, being super energetic, wanting to try new things, um, changing processes because... I think it's going to be a better option. He trusts me to do it. So I think the big piece is the trust Um, and feeling that support when he's like, yeah, maybe it's not going to work, Nick, but I trust you that you're going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. With my husband, I would say, like I said before, I'm a giver. I like to just bury myself in activities. So I'm now teaching English as a second language once a week. I go to, you know, a yoga class. I'll I'm going to a jewelry making class in a couple weeks. So he's very supportive of just letting me dive into those different things. And um, he's just a great listener. John is a pretty even-keeled human. Um, and we're in very different industries. So I'm in telecom, he's in finance, very different. Um, and he's in sales. So different from what I'm in from an operations perspective. So um, he's just very supportive of, hey, I know it's you've had a bad day. Like, let's go do a yoga class together mm-hmm. and do something that you love to do together. Um, so I think both of them have been really supportive in that sense for me. So it sounds like kind of if I uh, interpreted what you said to some degree, what you just underscored was really critical, which is in John's case, he listens to you. You specify that. But even in Dave's case, when you said he knows I'm crazy and <laughs> he'll let you kind of be who you are. Yes. And part of that is listening, like just yes. letting somebody, and if I may say so, you've heard this before, you talk a lot. <laughs> yes. You like to talk. <laughs> but that means that when you're interacting with people and you're talking, it helps you when other people are listening. And Dave does that. Mm-hmm. And Dave's a talker too. So I can imagine that at times that can be a challenge. Yes. For him. And he also, Dave has been awesome. He allows me to bring my dog. My dog is. The second love of my life, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, so I get to bring him to work every day, which is awesome. And that's something that helps me with my anxiety is having that piece of almost home, I guess you could say, with me all the time. And so that's like the crazy part of me. He lets me bring the dog with every day. And when he's not there, everyone's like, where is he? Yep. <laughs> so. And then sounds like a second thing is that both of them accept you for who you are. Yeah. And that's sometimes is hard. I'm going to speak for men. Like we sometimes struggle with that, that 
because we like to fix things and it's not like we're trying to fix our female partners, but the whole idea is that, that just accepting people for who they are and not trying to change them to who we want them to be. I agree. Right? And I've struggled with that myself over the years. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I would say to, you know, accepting for who I am, I, sh- with the anxiety, you always struggle like, what am I doing wrong? Maybe I should change how I act because this is how I feel. And really understanding I need to like who I am and be okay with who I am as a person. And knowing that I've got the support system behind me that says, I accept you for who you are. I love you. And you are a good person. And I am going to be behind you regardless of any decision that you make is really important. And knowing that both Dave and John, I think, have provided that support for me is huge. And finally, it's like you just said the word again, it's supporting you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just as we open up everything with the emotion wheel, we close these conversations with appreciations. Would you like to go first or you want me to go first? You can go first. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I I said it at the, at the outset, but I'm going to emphasize it here. I've always appreciated your energy <laughs> and, and that laugh. Like it... It changes the temperature in a room uh, in a positive way. I see the impact it has on other people. You make other people smile. Um, as you probably know, like I don't smile a ton. So it's always fun being around people who smile and laugh a lot because it helps lift my spirit and other people's spirits. So uh, my appreciation has always been and is even in this moment for your laugh and your energy. Thank you. My appreciation is for the Junto community. It's such an amazing community to be involved in, and I'm very appreciative of being a part of it and really appreciative that Dave has brought me into the community because ultimately I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Dave saying, hey, Raman, yeah, we're going to move forward with this Junto thing. I don't know what it's about yet, but I'm going to do it. And I'm really appreciative of the community, the relationships that I've been able to build, and the support system that I have within the Junto community. Our next guest is Chad Cooper, who's been a mentor in the Junto Institute's program since our launch in 2013. Chad is a deeply experienced technology executive with a career spanning startup companies to major corporations. He was the first CTO at Grubhub, where he helped the company build its tech team and prepare for its eventual IPO. Today, he's co-founder and CTO at Landscape Hub, a wholesale order management tool that landscape professionals use to find what they need and to get it fast. I've always admired Chad for his acknowledgement and appreciation that CTOs are leaders first and technologists second. Welcome to Flourishing Together, Chad. Thank you. (laughs) Well done. Thanks. So you got a pretty good summary. So we're going to start this conversation as we do with um, most Junto sessions. And as a mentor, you're not in those sessions where we use this thing that we call the emotion wheel. So I think this is probably your first time using it. Yep. This will be my first time using it. Cool. But I'll I'll see if I can uh, master it quickly. Awesome. So let's have you share how it is that you are feeling right now and a little bit of the why too. Okay. I would say um, primarily joy, uh, a little bit surprise. Um, joy, I mean, I'm just like optimistic with both my uh, 
just extremely optimistic where we're going with the company, where we're going, where I'm going at home with my kids and where they are with their life. I think uh, surprise, um, you know, every time I'm feeling happy or like excited, I'm always surprised by, you know, something, you know, not unexpected, I guess. And um, so more on the amazed side, I would guess, um, you know, whether it's with my kids who just continue to amaze you and you just can't believe they're becoming adults or with it's at work and we just kind of make this this like monumental kind of shift in how we do things and reinvent and but I think it's and they're kind of interchanged. If I just had joy and I would say no surprise, I'm probably uh, missing something. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for thanks for sharing that and yeah. I can relate to so much of what you shared um especially the part about the kids. Yeah. Uh, which I know we're going to get into here. Speaking of kids, I'm feeling very uh, grateful, sentimental, and um, warm-hearted right now because I'm missing my daughters. I've got two daughters, yeah. and uh, um, I'm missing them, uh, especially because it's Valentine's Day. Yeah, and uh, so one of those days that, despite the fact that I'm not a Hallmark guy, I still have that um, uh, remembrance uh, for them, and also feeling um, pretty cheerful, proud, and uh, enthusiastic for a lot of good things that are happening cool. professionally. All right. So um, we're going to start with um, a question that I typically kick off these conversations with, which is the first recollection that you have of leadership. I'd love to hear that. Okay. I mean, I think, I think that when I, when I think back on my career, this is probably, um, you know, 20 plus years back. Um, I grew up in uh, engineering world. I was electrical engineer in physics out of school, but I spent a lot of time with tech. Um, and so I was working for different companies, um, streamlining, kind of uh, making their technology work more efficiently for the business. And um, I was a coder. I developed a ton of applications. I coded all the time. I loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, at times, I, I just remember distinctly, I was working on a project, a large project, um, an insurance company. It was big scale. I maybe had a team of like... Uh, I say I had a team. I didn't have a team. I was part of a team um, of maybe like uh, 12 people. Um, we all liked each other. We worked really well together. We had a, a supervisor, a manager. And, uh, you know, I kind of recognized at that point, like, my, my impression of what a manager was, I thought they were the leader. They, they would lead the team and lead the projects. And, and um, my manager wasn't doing that. I kept on, I kept on defaulting back to me. Like I, and I was like, I'm just an engineer. I don't. What am I leading this project for? That's not my role. But um, it kept defaulting back to me. The team would be like, Well, what do we, what do we want to do? Like, how do we organize? And I was kind of defaulting into that role a lot. And I was kind of um, at that time, I was like, Well, why am I leading this project? I'm not the manager. And uh, to me, it was the same thing. But I, uh, looking back on that, I realized, you know, it was kind of a pivotal point for me. I didn't picture myself as a leader. I pictured my, you know, because I all leaders, I was kind of associating with managers. But after a time, I'm like, well, I keep on defaulting to this. Why not? Why not get to that role and get to that role so that I can run my teams and projects more effectively? You know, have more control over, like the mood, the constant mood, the energy. Um, so that was kind of a pivotal time. I, I definitely remember that clear as day. Hmm. So, so not unlike a lot of CTOs and technologists, yeah. Um, you lit up when you said you love to code. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, d- I do. I threaten to get back into coding all the time. <laughs> Actually, with the startup, yeah, I, I did do some coding. I, I'm doing less of it right now, but yeah. And so, um, as a as a non technologist, yeah. I'm always fascinated by this. Right, I'm fascinated anytime somebody says that they love to do something that yeah. is very very foreign to me, and to some degree strikes me as hard to love in in some regards. Yeah. Now, I've never even done much coding since I was in high school. Yep. Back on the. Uh, on basic, right? You remember? Yep, I did a lot of that back in high school. Right. So. I'd love you for you to kind of dive into this. Tell me more about what is it about coding that you love? I mean, I think it, I think it, uh, I, you know, I love the concept of problem solving. I mean, just across the board, you know, it's why I still love my job, do lots of that still. And it's, you know, and you're kind of in charge of the solution, you know, and how effectively can you build that solution and really solve the problem. Um, and I think that. I've always been driven by that. I've been always, I always could uh, understand the business side pretty quickly, um, and then really drive after, you know, how do I solve that problem with whatever tech I'm happen to be using at the moment, um, and that for me was really rewarding, and um, you know that getting that value out of what you're building, and you know it's difficult at times, it's tedious at times, but kind of getting to the end and seeing it kind of with the end users being used, it's pretty amazing. Cool. Okay, so I hear this a lot from engineers, technologists, and, and and people in related fields that they love to solve problems. And in right. fact, I don't know if I've told you, but my younger daughter is studying to be an engineer. So even nice. she's talking about it um, in college as a student. Give us an example of a specific problem that any one of us can relate to who aren't technologists and your experience with coming up with a solution. Okay. I'm going to probably go back, back a ways uh, really when I came out of school. I came out of school as an engineer. And I wasn't thinking myself as a software person. Um, I was thinking myself as an engineer, electrical engineer. And I was working with an engineering department. And I realized um, in engineering at the time, um, a lot of it was very manual, like just manual. You want a bit of job, you're doing it manually, lots and lots and lots of time. And so um, there was a product that we were, uh, we had a custom product that we were trying to sell. And it was on noise barriers along the highway. I know you've seen them like the the big concrete things or steel things right. and they're, you know, reflecting the noise back into the highway rather than into the houses and stuff. And so those jobs uh, typically, you know, they'd be miles and miles long. Uh, you'd have wind loads, you had elevations, you had all this kind of stuff. And um, you had to you had to figure that all out, all out just to bid it. And these jobs just to bid it, it was taking two, three, four weeks just to do one bid. And it was a big problem. I mean, it, the, you know, we wanted to bid these things. You can't win the job if you can't bid it, and you don't win all the jobs. So, you know, you start doing the math, and it just is a huge time suck. And so, I just started uh, thinking about that, and I, I learned AutoCAD pretty well. And I was uh, digging a little bit in. I'm like, can't AutoCAD just draw these drawings for me? Can't I use AutoCAD and empower that to help me with the problem? Um, and eventually, I got under the covers with AutoCAD. I uh, adopted some other technology, a database technology. I was kind of feeling my way around. I didn't know this stuff. I wasn't necessarily trained in this. But um, by the time I was done with it, a, a few months in, I was able to uh, kind of just uh, give the requirements to this application. And literally, it would draw the whole drawing in AutoCAD. I could sit there and watch it, like draw it all out and everything. And um, we took it down to just a couple, a day or two to to bid one of these jobs. And it, it just was like revolutionary for our our department. And I was still like, well, but I'm an engineer. I'm not the software guy. But um, at that point, I was like, well, maybe I am the software guy. And uh, 
And so, yeah, it was kind of rewarding to do that. I did a, a, a number of things at that company with kind of streamlining engineering with technology. Hmm. Um, so it was pretty cool to see. And um, it was just really neat to see that time savings just drop so fa fast down. No kidding. So That's cool. Thank you. That was yep. very relatable. Yeah, so that one, you know, a lot of tech, if you work at an insurance company, it's hard for me to explain the applications I'm working on and stuff, but definitely something you see when you're driving along the highway is an easy one. So. Yeah. Okay, so you joined your co-founder, Lisa uh, Fiore, at Landscape Hub um, a few years ago, and I remember maybe about a year prior to that, you and I got together for breakfast or lunch, and you were kind of in transition or maybe you were kind of wrapping up at Give Forward, was it? Yeah. Just before Landscape Hub? Yeah. And I remember you saying something to the effect of, yeah, I don't think I'm going <laughs> to do a startup again. And then I don't believe that you had been a founder either. No. Right before. No, I've never been a founder. And so then I found out through a mutual friend um, that not only were you doing a startup again, um, but that you were co-founding it along with Lisa. Yeah. It's kind of crazy, huh? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I never, I never, like, spending a fair amount of time in in startups post Grubhub. So like, uh, Grubhub, um, I just helped a lot of companies after Grubhub, and you know, I just kind of came to realize that the founders are just so incredibly passionate about the what they're trying to solve, and it takes you know, incredible passion on the problem and like whatever you happen to be working on, uh, to to see it through. And I thought, you know what, I, I'm not sure I have. Uh, that much passion in any of the companies I'm talking to to actually be a founder. I could be a good CTO and uh, help lead to a solution. And I, I actually would say, I just never picture myself as a founder. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine I ever be a founder. And then the other half of it is like, if you're a founder, you know, it's it's yours. You, you can't just walk away from it. it. You're committed all the way. So I never, I, I thought I'll never be a founder, which I was cool with. Um, and then I met Lisa. Um, I wasn't really working. I was kind of happy being semi-retired. Um, and I, I have a farm. I was working on that and, you know, enjoying that. I love landscaping. I love working outside. We're building a wedding space and, you know, all this kind of stuff for the future, just kind of lifestyle type business. And um, I met Lisa. And I wasn't taking calls or anything, but I thought I got a connection from a friend I know. And, and they said, tech in landscape in the landscape space. I'm like, what? This is this is different. So I took a coffee with Lisa and I really did fall in love with what she was trying to do. Um, you know, I took a look at the space, the industry is, you know, it's kind of back, it's still still back behind the times. So like bringing it online just seemed like something that was potentially possible and really interesting because I had a passion in landscaping in general. So I agreed to not only help her, I agreed to co-found it with her um, and so we started it up in, what was that, about May 2017. Uh, we had a consulting firm already helping us. All right. Um, so one of the things that you already brought up was your farm. And I've really enjoyed hearing uh, a little bit about that over the years. Um, as much as you're so passionate and you light up about the work you're doing now with Landscape Hub, I know that you're also deeply passionate about the farm and kind of what it's given to you the fulfillment and joy you've experienced with it. It also seems to be uh, something that has, you know, continued to bring together your family in different ways. Yeah. So I'd love for you to just kind of dive into that a little bit. Yeah. I think I'm um, uh, living in a city like uh, I didn't grow up in like a major city. I grew up outside Cleveland. 
but the uh, living in a city, I, I was taking the L downtown uh, year after year after year, living in the kind of the concrete world. Um, and I just felt like I was never outside. And, you know, 13, 14 years into doing that, I'm talking to my wife. I'm like, Amy, this is like, I, I need a break. I need a, I need an outlet from the, from the city. And um, at the same time, our kids were little. I had a three-year-old and uh, just, just a little over a one-year-old. And we're like, well, maybe we need a little bit bigger house. Maybe we need a place with a yard. And I, I'm like, well, yeah, I guess we could upgrade a little in the city, but you're, you're marginally getting, uh, getting what, what I was kind of thinking about. Uh, but I had a friend that was uh, had a place up in Michigan. I said, well, why don't we go look up in Michigan for that same upgrade price of upgrading our place in the city? We could probably buy a small farm. And we went out to Michigan and started looking and uh, discovered that. And uh, we ended up buying this small farm. And it, it turned out it was like a vacation. Like every time we went out, there was a little mini vacation. Our kids went from being controlled in the city every every single time they opened that door, you know, 100% control because they're little, to open the door and just, you know, stay away from the road, which isn't even near the house, um, which was great. And to have that, you know, both both the city environment and kind of the country environment uh, has been great. It's been great for me. It's been great for Amy and, and our kids. Yeah. So you bring up this idea of a farm with Amy. Yeah. What's her response? She loves gardening. She loves, she loves a farm. She's, she's definitely the champion behind let's get events. We don't want to sit out in the country by herself, you know, having events and even just a few, you know, five, six a year, um, just brings energy to the place and our life and everything. So, so right out of the gate, she was supportive of the idea. You guys did this together. Yeah, yeah. It's it's nice to kind of be aligned on that. So, and how have the kids been with it? They've been great through the years. I think they're they're teenagers. You know, they're they'd rather be in the city, but uh, they they like it when they're out there for sure, and they bring friends out there, so that helps a lot. Nice. Um, so speaking about Amy, um, she has also had a pretty accomplished career, yet. One of the things that I've always admired in my conversations with you, from my conversations with you, I should say, when you talk about Amy and your family is you guys just seem to be really grounded and very, very family focused. And I appreciate it because that's what we tried to do in raising our kids and what I continue to try to do as a father. Um, so I'd love to hear just how how you guys manage that because it's hard, right? Especially being in highly demanding careers, high yeah. profile careers, yeah. having that grounding, creating the right space for your family uh, values to kind of flourish. Yep. Share a little bit about that. I don't know. I think it, you evolve into something that works for you. I mean, certainly uh, uh, pre-kids, I, I, work was my life. I worked you know, crazy hours. Once I had a small child, you know, it's you get home and if you're uh, intending to get on online to do email or whatever, you get disrupted pretty quickly, and uh, that doesn't happen. And after a while, it doesn't happen enough that, and you're still doing well at work. And you're like, wait a minute, maybe this, maybe there is a formula here that works. And um, I think it's actually helped me a lot uh, having kids because it does ground you, it does uh, bring you back to things that matter, and so um, and it kind of keeps things in balance. So I mean, it, it, I would say it's an evolution of like. Being able to like kind of have family on one hand and a, a difficult career or like a career that requires a lot of attention on the other hand. Yeah. But it actually, you know, when you, if you can get that break, um, it makes it easier. Work, work becomes much easier because you have more clarity of mind. And um, in a startup, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to have a list longer than you could ever achieve. And um, if you have clarity, you can actually, 
achieve the right things. And uh, that's that's a hard place to be. And I think uh, if you're just going after everything, it's going to be a really tough road. So break that down a little bit, um, which I'm ho- trusting you can do because you're an engineer. Yeah. Achieving clarity is a really, like, it's a steep mountain to climb. And in this case, I'm going to ask you to kind of look, look in the rearview mirror. How were you able to kind of achieve some clarity during the experience of having a family alongside um, a career? I think it just kind of forced me to be, I, I'm extremely organized. I think when I, you know, you have a limited window, uh, which was kind of nice, like Amy and I are both working. So uh, we had a nanny and she would leave at 530 every day. And so I'd take the morning, get to work early and she would stay late, but I had to be home by 530. So my day was fixed. And so, um, you know, I had to get through everything that that was important. And so you're just, you're kind of stuck prioritizing. And um, after you do that a while, you realize there's an advantage to that too. Um, and so I just have gotten more, more and more organized over the years, um, and then really try to focus in on what are those really key things I need to be focused on and want to get done. And I think that it just kind of, it's driven into you either do that or you, or you change jobs or change something. Right. And so, um, that was how I kind of got through it. I don't know if I described it well or not, but. Chad, what do you struggle with? Um, you know, the things that, the things I've had to work at my whole career, and I, I will never be an expert at, is communication. I mean, as much as uh, people say, oh, you're really good communi-, like, it, it's hard to be that all the time, and then to change it and and uh, be able to communicate effectively to everybody. And so that that is a struggle. I mean, it's a constant thing I focus on. Um, I try to get better at it all the time. You got to recognize that you're never going to be an expert. If you think you're an expert, you're probably a you're probably not, right? You probably have lots of room to improve. You're just not letting yourself know that. Um, so that one's definitely a struggle. Uh, have there been um, some things that you've worked on with communication that have helped you where you've actually had some success improving? I think everyone probably has uh, people they have a tougher time communicating with. And I think I definitely over the years have had those those types of people um, that I've had a tough time communicating with and trying to figure out how to get that communication to like a, a good, a good point. Um, I think having a, a manager that you have a tough time communicate forces you to figure that out. And I've had that before in the past. And, um, and I think if you can figure it out and get to where you're communicating, at least, okay. Um, you can actually learn quite a bit from that because yeah, it, it, it's difficult at times. And, uh, like being at my company now, I have to be able to communicate to everybody. You know, if I, if you're at a big company and you're in a tech, you got to communicate effectively within your department and a smaller company, you got to, you got to communicate well everywhere externally too. Yeah. One thing that I've always noticed about you in our, um, mentor meetings is your listening abilities that they are pretty strong. How does that fit into the communication? Realm. Isn't it the same thing? <laughs> How about that? No, it's it's the same thing. I, I don't know. You got to be a good listener. Um, I listen more than I talk. I say as a general rule, and um, especially at the leadership level, um, I think I'd rather listen more. And then when I have thoughts that that are relevant, I will talk then. So, is part of the struggle that you've experienced with communication related to talking more, talking differently? No, it's talking effectively. Talking it's not, effectively. Okay. I could talk all day long without okay. a problem. Okay. I could uh I think that's that's easy. You know, it's it's talking effectively and trying to get 
you know, the, the most effective communication I, that I've done, and I've done this a few times, um, where I've really seen it work well, um, where I'm working with somebody and I'm trying to get my point across and I do it with enough finesse that long-term they think it was their idea, even though it was mine and I brought it to them and they've internalized it so well that they truly, like if you asked them and I, and I said, well, didn't I bring this up to you if I tried to point out something like that? They, they would truly not even understand that, right? And so that's, that's effective communication when you can talk to someone and make it their own idea. And uh, that, that's amazing. And that's happened a few times. <laughs> that's great. But that's good communication. Like, I mean, that's like, in my mind, it's not like I'm communicating and you're acknowledging I'm right. I'm communicating and, and you're, you're kind of aligning and, you know, and you make it your own. So Chad, I want to uh, come back to something I shared when I introduced you, which was that you have always seemingly appreciated the importance of being a leader first as a CTO. Could you kind of unravel, unpack a little bit about what leadership means to you? Yeah, I think I, and I, you know, I've mentored a, a lot of uh, CTOs in small companies. And um, what we usually end up talking about is communication effectively. Like, how much do you work with the leadership team? Like, how much do you work with the founder? Um, and I think the, the most CTOs have a, a pretty decent tech background and are comfortable there. Like clearly, I could, I'd be comfortable as can be. Like once I got back into coding, I'd be happy as can be. Um, the harder part is like trying to uh, transition away from that role, and uh, at first, kind of getting your teams so they can work effectively together. Like so, like kind of managing down, and then kind of recognizing at some level that um, working with your peers at the leadership level is is a key part of your role too, and um, and that's that's hard. You know, it's hard to get transition to that. Um, I happen to like it a lot because I, I kind of see the value of teams running really well and I can see how much better projects go. And then I can see the value of like tech being aligned well with the business and how effective that is. But, um, you know, not everybody loves that. So, and not all CTOs, I guess, are, are required to be there. I think though it's evolving that a CTO should be part of the, the business. Um, you got to be able to talk about it. You got to be able to understand where those core things you're trying to get done with the business so that you can help enable that. Whether that be, you know, optimizing some operational process that's gating us or, you know, building out some amazing product. Um, it's all the same to me. It's like knocking down the, uh, helping knock down the problems in the business. Yeah. So at Junto, and you may not have heard us share this because it doesn't come up in the in the mentoring sessions. Um, at Junto, we define leadership as moving people in the direction that we're going. Yeah. And so you kind of brought that to life in the examples that you just gave yeah. with respect to teams or the CTO knowing, having the relationship with the founder and communicating. Yeah. Does that resonate with you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what it's about. You want teams happily working on the, the the things that need to be worked on, right? Right. And uh, you know, at, at times that's leading them. At at times it's getting out of the way. And so, um, at back at Grubhub when we were doing big initiatives, I think we had six agile teams at that time. Um, nothing would stress me out more than starting a new initiative, you know, because I'd have to really make sure the team gets going on a good foot, and I'd be in there helping lead them and making sure they understood it and we're moving along well. But as soon as they got it moving along well, and I could sense it, I get out of their way. And so, um, so it's not always, 
you know, direct leadership. Um, it's more about like once you sense it, they're going, let them do what they're, what they're there to do. Yeah. So once again, what you're doing is bringing to life something else that we talk about periodically, which is the distinction between leading from the front and leading from the back. Yeah, I, I, I would I would like to lead from the back more right now, <laughs> but yeah, we don't have enough people, yeah. and like yeah, and so uh, and I don't mean that. Like I I love uh you know I you know I love leading projects. I love leading people. It's a lot of fun, um, especially when it goes well and you achieve you know something that they said you couldn't do it that fast or whatever it might be. Um, that's pretty pretty rewarding. And it's still fairly early, right? You're in year yeah. three right now. It yeah. kind of your it sounds like you guys are in a growth pretty exciting growth yeah stage. We're, we're, we're definitely getting growing um i think i think the tipping point's coming where we're gonna grow a lot faster than we're ready for it um i think we uh, when we we launched in 2017 and um and we did about we did a fair amount of orders that year the next may we had built you know in 2017 you push the button to order something and an email came out and we called everybody and placed the orders manually and so in 2018 we we were uh we were, came out for spring, ready to go. We thought um, we were getting ready to start working on that next piece of product that we really wanted to build, which we're just doing now. You know, two years forward, um, and we had one of the a uh, May that uh, our May was three times bigger than our whole 2017, and so it it really kind of like almost killed us. And so we we really had to focus tech on like operations and our tool sets, and and we you know we scaled that. And that was what we needed to do for the business. And um, we got through it. And then this this year, we had another big beginning of the season. And it, it was just so much smoother. But it's amazing when the business gets ahead of where you are, where you're ready for. Um, I think we're about ready to get that this year. I'm optimistic it's going to happen. That's great. Yeah, we we talk about that as well regularly in yeah. Junto is... Um, are you working for the business or is the business working for you? Yeah. Right? yeah. Are we leading it or is it leading us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's so I'm hopeful that we'll uh, have those same headaches. Okay. Oh my gosh, the tech's not ready for for the volume we're at, and uh, that, that's a good problem to have. It is. Yeah, yeah, that's where it gets fun. You're the guy to come up with a solution. Yeah, yeah. A lot of great people <laughs> that behind me that are helping me out. So that's that's the good part. Right. All right. Let's um, come to a close here, um, as we do with our sessions. We're gonna close this one with appreciations. You want to go first or you want me to go first? Well, I, I appreciate you inviting me over here because we never get to talk on uh, outside of the, the constructs of mentor, which is very focused. So yeah, I appreciate, appreciate that. Hopefully, uh, hopefully someone out there picks up some bit of wisdom that they can apply to some scenario, but, uh, but yeah, I definitely appreciate, appreciate coming down, talking to you. Yeah. Thank so. you. Um, it, it's going to sound trite, but it's not. Uh, I have a really deep sense of appreciation for just who you are. As, as someone who on on paper or on LinkedIn might seem to be kind of your classically highly accomplished tech executive with uh, a great quote unquote resume. And uh, I know a lot of people who look up to you um, with deep admiration because of that, knowing that from a human standpoint, there's so much more there. And that, to me, defines more of who Chad is than just the stuff on the LinkedIn profile, that you pay so much attention to your role as a father and as a husband, and you've got this side of you that recognizes that the concrete jungle 
is not fueling the best version of you and that you need something else. So just a really deep appreciation for, like I said, who you are. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss the next episode. This episode was produced by Dante32.